You're listening to DraftKings Network. This episode is brought to you by Columbia Sportswear. It's snowing again, and that wind chill is killer. But you're not worried about that because you shop the Omni Heat Infinity Collection. It's warmth perfected with tiny gold dots that reflect your body heat inside and protect you from the cold outside. No snow or chilly temps can stop you now. Go out anyway. Shop the Omni Heat Infinity Collection now at Columbia.com slash infinity. Be better. Exactly. And again, like this is not a secret. And even was it John Cooper? Someone said it in this whole discourse, but like, Guys, Toronto already knows this too. Not only because they have the same data, but also this is how scouting works. Hey everybody, welcome back to Too Many Men. My name is Allison Lucan, and as always, I am joined by one of my very favorite people in the world who continues to tear it up with her writing. I cannot wait for more game coverage coming every time the Bruins take the ice, which we think, and we will talk about, is going to continue. And that is the amazing Sarah Sivian. Sarah, how are you today? Oh, I'm lovely, lovely, lovely. How are you? That's it? That's all you got yeah. for us today? Yeah, a little, <laughs> yeah, a lot of moving parts today. <laughs> and we, of course, would not be too many men without, I don't think we we talked about this, the new hair, the purple hair. Ooh. It's wonderful. It's fantastic. I, when I used to be able to have fun with my hair color, loved a good purple. The amazing Shana Goldman. Shana, say hi. Hi. And you should credit yourself for the decider of the purple hair because you yes. were the one that suggested I went with dark purple. You know, you've just completely thrown away. I know. I want to give you credit, though. Credit where it's due. And like you give an idea, like a story idea. You're very good at giving me story ideas and things or hair color advice. We have to give credit. It's that too many men better. flavored. That's right. <laughs> That's right. We're coming everywhere. We're coming in charts. We're Whoa. everywhere. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> All right, my friends, let's get into it. A quick reminder before we go into the news, we are loving the boots on the ground vibe checks that we are getting from games around the league. Keep those coming. Send them to us on social. You can also message them to us outside of DMs so that we can repost them, but we love to see them. Please, please, please keep it going. And if you post a boots on the ground wearing or having hold of any too many men merch, something may be coming your way. Stay tuned. All right, my friends, let's get to it. Sarah, it is time for your favorite segment. Bit O News. Bit O News, my friends. In a win for the nerds, Derek Lalonde <laughs> has joined uh, postseason coverage in Canada on Sportsnet. And everyone was losing their minds about the fact that he made a comment. And I actually heard the recording and like literally it's it's not like he just revealed the meaning of life, but he said uh, that they had done some research and changed up their defensive scheme because they realized that Vasilevsky was vulnerable to shots from the perimeter and tips and screens. As of today, as we record, John Cooper has now responded and said, quote, he's there because he, oh, this is about Lalonde regarding Vasilevsky, he's there because he was an assistant coach on this team, that being Tampa Bay. So he's trying to offer insight and trying to give fans something, and he should be doing that. He's just got to make sure it's accurate. 
Funnily enough, our dear friend of the pod, Micah Blake McCurdy, who runs the amazing site HockeyViz, had already posted a publicly available chart, which literally reflects the same thing Lalonde said. So A, John Cooper, it is correct. B, numbers are helpful. C, this stuff can be publicly available. So Shana, what say you about what is ultimately and all that really matters, a victory for the nerds? Yeah, first of all, I I like that it's someone that actually coached with this team, like being on the broadcast. I think that's a cool element. And I also like that it's a current coach who's in the division, still coaching, goes against the Lightning and the Leafs pretty often. So I think that brings some cool insight. I'd like to see that a little more often. And I think he's a thoughtful guy. This is not reinventing the wheel, though. I mean, like, it's it's like last postseason. How much did we talk about Vasilevsky allowing goals, high blocker side? That's stuff you can find publicly by tracking it. It's stuff you can find privately by any data tracking site. And they were constantly posting it on broadcast or giving nerds like us data to go right with it about. Like, we all pointed it out. So it's really not reinventing the wheel. Cooper, I expected some sort of a response like that. Like, it makes sense he's saying, like, this is what he should be doing because he's supporting someone who is on his staff to say, like, oh, it's not accurate. He's a lawyer, for fuck's sake. Like, of course, he's not going to be like, yeah, we did that. That's our that's our weakness, of course. But it's nice someone's bringing actual insight to the table. And the drama of it, the comments of like, oh, he shouldn't be doing that. Just shut up because you didn't think of it first. Like, why do we have to, like dissect everything that way <laughs> yeah the media's comments and um, that's the weirdest thing where the media has been some people in the media that are old school and one specific person that always seems to have like the worst take i've ever seen was saying that might be giving away too much um it's just the like tangible application of data right like it, it's it's not being lazy and putting and making data accessible and putting it into something functional and like do you want a cookie from John Cooper? Do you want him to give you the scoop or something? Because I don't understand why you're like, no, you, the media shouldn't be giving away secrets. Like, uh, again, it's it's out there publicly. And I think if you look at any other sport, like in basketball specifically, they have a lot of things like this and analysis that is actually functional. And I think that's where the missing link between people in hockey saying analytics are useless or whatever. And the application of them has really been the problem in hockey where it's not like that in other sports. So finally we do it. Well, exactly. And that's what is so like mind blowing to me. And I'm not saying this just myself, but on our shows about the Kraken, like this is the kind of stuff we talk about. I don't like it. It's depressing to me that like, this is considered like golden broadcasting, like do better be better. Exactly. And again, like this is not a secret. And even was it John Cooper? Someone said it in this whole discourse, but like, guys, Toronto already knows this too, not only because they have the same data, but also this is how scouting works. Like this is what no. your coaches are. Sub- <laughs> no, they have I was to just looking for the tallest boy and saying, I want him. <laughs> like, what are we doing? Anyone does scout, right? If you're Allison, you go on TV, right? Like a big shot. Like our friend, NHL head coach of the Red Wings, Allison Lucan, two of the same, except one does a better job because, you know, it is her job and she's a master at it. Anyway, you study things, right? And not just the No, crack. I make them up. Numbers you make don't it matter. Up. Did you, I don't know, study, let's say, we don't get to watch your regional broadcast in the playoffs, no. which is a gift to us all. Not thrilled about it. Um, but like, 
Colorado's power play, right? I'm sure that's something you scouted. You looked at the video. You looked at the data. I'm sure you talked to people. You did all of your homework on this. So when you were on TV and the spotlight was on you, you could talk about it. Derek Lalonde did that. He happened to have that in his back pocket already. But do you think the Red Wings aren't studying that stuff too? They have to go against the Lightning how many times in the regular season? Exactly. Exactly. And he's using it competitively in games, that knowledge, right? It's not like he signed a non-disclosure agreement. And I feel like, what, is that going to be the next move? I, like, non-disclosure? Again, no. Like, every everyone yeah. says, like, after the first game, everyone, like, coaches have said this for years. Everyone knows what everyone else is doing if you're doing your job. And That's guess why what? power plays dry up. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And further, you can also use data that people, Micah Blake McCurdy has been doing his work four years and innovating it for years. And you literally could have looked at a chart that's been on his website four years and started to ask this question about Vasilevsky. So again, data's your friend, use as much information as you can and stop losing your shit over stuff that people who should actually be studying the game should be looking at and figuring out. They're going to ruin the one time we have an active head coach, too, on a media panel, which we should all be excited about because they're bringing it's not someone who's been out of the game for 10 years. It's it's why someone like P.K. Subban, I think, gets a lot of attention, too. He's been with these guys as of a year ago. He knows this. We should have more current players on panels and more current coaches that aren't in the playoffs. Like Corey Schneider was someone who used to join the NBC desk after the season ended and and join as an analyst and he could say i faced this guy shot this number yep. that's the insight we should be absolutely craving from former players and current players to go along with everything else like it, it's something new for hockey we don't get enough of it so let's shit on it and make sure it never happens again the hockey i just way. think it's funny that meanwhile vasilevsky's saying what he needs to do is buy himself like fucking x-ray glasses that's what he said when asked how he can how he can help himself. So it's like you can the the analytics are sometimes for us to understand the game better. And it's not going to like help or hurt him. He's like in the game trying to live. So clearly needs x-ray glasses. I don't know. What a great quote. I know. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I love analytics are for us because you're right, Sarah. That's the people in the game most often do know this stuff. And so this is how we can learn to understand the game better. So if you work harder, you too can say cool things like Derek Lalonde. Anyway, friends, it's been a couple weeks, but unfortunately, we do have a return entrant to the shit list. And that, I actually don't know who's on it. I, I, I don't want to make this just about Brad Marchand. However, unfortunately, and we referenced this last episode, if you didn't know what we were talking about, Basically, um, at the end of game three between Boston and Florida, a hot mic caught uh, what is reportedly uh, Panthers forward Matthew Kachuk yelling misogynistic insults at Boston center Thomas Nosek about his wife. Here's where we get into the problem. The comments, if they are in fact what we think they are, are very disturbing and not okay. Um, Here are Brad Marchand's comments. Quote, I think the NHL and the media outlets cross the line by allowing those mics. There's a reason guys don't want mics on the bench, and that's because they're going to take advantage of it at some point, and they did. Regardless of what's said by Kachuk or other guys, there should never be an instance where a mic picks up any of that stuff. Marchand went on to add that the language that was heard is, quote, part of the game. Listen, I'm here for a good chirp all day, every day. I'm here for profanity, but I fear we're in a place where we're now going to say misogyny, sexism, racism, they're okay. I'm not okay <laughs> with that. 
Sarah, you have covered Boston. These comments originate with a Boston player, but I would suggest this is not the only player who feels this way. What did you make of this situation? I mean, first of all, I don't think Matt Kachuk knows Noshik's wife. Um, and I think he was just trying to get under his skin. That doesn't make a comment like that okay. But I do think, I don't know, it's a it's a really tough dilemma here because they say things like that and worse on the ice. And it is just part of the game. And that's when we say hockey isn't always for everyone. Like when we try to just make that a catch-all statement, it's not true because there's still some of this stuff in the game. And that is the way it is right now. I'm not endorsing it, but that's just how it is. And I kind of do think it crossed the line to have mics on. I don't know. I go back and forth because I think it can be great content. And I was so curious. I'm always so curious on what they're saying. Right. But I do think, I mean, it's not for the kids at home watching. Right. Like, I don't think like there's probably kids watching that. But I I think during the playoffs, when all the passion is at like a, a high and their the passion, the, oh, the passion, wow. the passion is passioning. But I don't I don't know. I do think it kind of crossed the line. What do you guys think? Shana? Yeah, I think it crossed the line. And but I don't think that's why. I don't think Martian like said it. I feel like he just did it to be an asshole about Matthew Chuck. Like, I think he pointed it out to everyone and be like, look, you're bad when he probably doesn't want mics because he's out there saying the same shit. And I don't mean to say, oh, Brad Martian's a misogynist, but he's a shit talker. They all are. They all try to hit you where it hurts. They all say things that cross the line. Is it okay? No, but it is like you said, it is what it is. If you don't want mics out there, you're not saying it because like, oh, we can't have people hearing what Kachuk said or look what an asshole Kachuk is. He's saying it because I'm sure nobody wants that to happen to them either. So if you can deflect blame onto someone else and say that's why you shouldn't have it, it's going to help all of them look better and avoid situations like this. Um, I agree during the playoffs. I think it's a little bit tough because the intensity rises. People are bigger assholes. All of that's true. Whether or not it's right or wrong, like it is what it is, right? Like. I don't think we can like go into it and be like, hey, players, don't say this shit. You shouldn't. If you're a decent human being, don't say this shit. Don't be a misogynist asshole. Just be like, hey, you could say be like, wow, your nose is. I don't I don't have a good insult at the top of my head. Like you could talk shit about their nose or what was it like? <sighs> Who was I think like Mike Rupp to Jody Shelley like years ago being like, you're irrelevant and shit like that, like. That's funny. And I think that there's ways that you can be an asshole on the ice without crossing the line because you do cross the line. But I don't know what you can do about it besides trying to hope that players can be decent people. And we know that's not the case. Like, I know that's like a really pessimistic way of looking at it. I wish it wasn't the case, but I just don't know how you it's like a very long road if you're going to beat that out of them. We can't even get players to support their teammates if something terrible like racially charged happens against them just to be like, hey, don't do that. We can't even get that. So I, I don't know. I don't know if yeah, it makes any I mean, sense. I mean, I don't, I fear there are two issues here, right? And I think we're we're talking about both. Number one, should there be mics? Maybe not. Maybe not. I would allow space for that in a playoff situation in particular. However, we can't, I, we, we should expect there not to be insults of this kind. And I think it's not saying don't say that. It's educating these people to be yes. better. So yes. I I don't mind it. Again, like I said, I don't mind an insult. I mean, what was it, the stuff going back between the Leafs and the uh, Lightning bench when they were when they were saying, you're irrelevant? I mean, that, that it happened there too. And yeah. it was hilarious. But I just, just because the, the way this was presented was so cavalier. And I, again, yeah. you guys, this is not just Brad Marchand, but it can't be, we're going to say it. So just don't let, just don't hear us. Like, 
I don't know. Also, Brad Marchand's even funnier too because he's crossed the line in so many different ways. Like, think of the Panarin stuff. Like, we didn't know what was said with that when the glove was thrown. Oh, right, right, right. And right, Panarin right. was kind of even like, I'm not discussing this. And like, he he did the adult thing there going like, I don't need to make him look as bad. Like, you figure it out for yourself. Like, and you know it's bad. But like, when it's said by him, it's just, for me, I look at it and it's like, you don't mean, you don't mean it. And you don't want to be some fucking... Like, I support women and I'm this great guy. That's not the case. You just want it that someone else looks bad. So I feel like that's the part of it that, I mean, I respect the petty, but I'm like, you're not trying to do this to be a good person. No, 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 no. All right. Well, she, well, Sarah already got us there. Um, she hinted at the stuff that everyone wants to talk about. We just can't help it, folks. We have it, the passion. We have the passion. <laughs> what time is it, Shana? How does it affect the Leafs? How does it affect the Leafs? We're going to make this, how does it affect the Leafs, a recap of where this series is. And again, folks, if they wouldn't keep making this stuff so insane, we wouldn't have to talk about it. Even if it wasn't insane, we'd have to talk about it because they would amplify the smallest little thing to make it that. Okay, but it's legitimately insane. Let's talk about some of the stuff that's going on in Tampa Bay and Toronto. Game four, obviously Tampa Bay does not want to go down three to one in the series. And they're up. They're up four one. And then in the final, no shit, 10 minutes of the game, the Leafs come back and ultimately end up winning. They push the series to three one. They can end the run that has been the Tampa Bay Lightning for two straight seasons They could get the monkey off their back. They could defeat the narrative. It was three to one. They can show that they can do things. Michael Bunting is in fact back and available. He will not play in game five, but he could be back if there's a game six. There's so much going on. Is Tampa Bay done? Sarah, how does this affect the Leafs? I know it's just absolutely insane the way this series has gone. It was like the bad juju exercised in game one after that the Leafs lost and Tampa Bay scored seven goals. Then it was like, nope, Uno reversed. We're going to score seven goals and then we're going to win in overtime. And then we're going to take away the uh, the other game. Like, I, I think they just have won in every which fashion after they lost in a pathetic way that they would have in the past. And I think just like exercising and even the four one demons, they were exercising everything this series. Matthews is fighting. Other people are stepping up. I want to talk about Morgan Riley. He hasn't had the best regular season, but he always turns it up in the playoffs. And it's like, if the Leafs need anything, they need a leader like that. Shayna, Sarah has been devout in her commitment to the Leafs yeah. doing this, even though they've taken her on an emotional roller coaster. Mm-hmm. Where do you stand on what the Leafs are doing right now? And we know that Chernak is still out. Tampa Bay obviously is dealing with some injury issues. They apparently now have this great exposed bit of news about Andre Vasilevsky that we've actually known for years. Nonetheless, where do you stand on the Leafs? Can they do it? It feels like if any year is like it's going to happen, it's this year. It's so crazy. Like everything they need to do to get through to round two, I feel like they're doing. And it's not as simple as like, if you want to get to round two, what do you do? You win four games, right? Like, no, that's not it for the Leafs. Good job, Shana. Good luck. (laughs) Thank you. Well, the (laughs) analytics are going too far. (laughs) (laughs) But for the Leafs, like there's more to it. Like there is. Defending leads, that's a big part of it. It's having that comeback ability that we we haven't seen before. And game four was a great example of it because they were getting their asses kicked. They played a horrible game before that 10 minutes. We were talking about in the first period, like three minutes before the period ended, 
Tampa had like what 96% of the expected goal share. And I think it ended up being like 75 in those last couple of minutes, which is a pretty big shift, but the rest of the game, they weren't good until they were. And it was that they showed like, we know that elite talent can flip a game in 10 seconds, right? That's, that's the thing about having elite talent. You could be a, a team that is super top loaded and someone like Connor McDavid could get on the ice and completely change the complexion of a game in five seconds. And that's what happened with the Leafs, which is really impressive because that's what we've seen the Lightning do legitimately to them. So it feels different from last year because last year, if they were down 4 one in a game, they weren't coming back. They were up 2 one in a game. They weren't playing like that desperation hockey. And it's just different. So it feels like they're really exercising their demons to get past round one. And then if Boston wins, the funniest thing is going to be like, here's your next demon beat the team that you couldn't. So I feel like they're not going to do that. And then a year later, maybe they can beat Boston and then maybe they'll have a chance to win. They have to like, it's a stepping stone, but yeah, like good for them. It's exciting. Why not? But if they lose game five, I I don't like their chances. Amazing. Amazing. Well, we'll get that answer soon. Starting tomorrow, we're hitting that point in the schedule where games start to stagger out and you're getting anywhere from none to two, three, four games on a night, depending on where series stand and how the schedule makers are doing their magic. Let us cleanse those demons for the people who don't like hearing about the Leafs. Let's completely switch conferences, my friends. Last time we started with the East. So today we're going to start with the West and let's look at some games. We're recording on Wednesday. So let's look at some games that concluded on Tuesday Starting with, and Sarah, sister, you're preaching the gospel. As much as we try, we cannot get invested in this series, although there have been some moments. Minnesota-Dallas. Dallas has taken a 3-2 to two series lead as they proceed into Game 6. We know that Pavelski is reportedly traveling with the Stars, which is first and foremost good news for him and a dangerous bit of news if you are the Minnesota Wild uh, Marcus Felino ejected from the last game after a knee-on-knee hit uh, on Faxa. And Jake Ottinger seems to be doing Jake Ottinger things. We just need this series to be over. Sarah, what are you seeing between these two teams? Yes, it used to be evenly boring vibe. And now the stars are, are like, oh, I actually do want somebody to come out of this. I'm loving kind of the resurgence of Tyler Sagan. Didn't he score two on Tuesday to get them the lead? I mean, Jake Ottinger is rounding into form not that he ever wasn't but he got a shutout like i just think it's a really good time to be a star and obviously pavelski will be coming back and he's such a huge part of that or he's traveling so he looks like he's on the road to recovery and that is such a huge part of that team so i kind of am having feel good vibes about them horrendous vibes for the wild i'm sorry it's just boring i feel bad for the wild fans who are crazy the state of hockey but it's just not happening Real Kaprizov with, I believe, just one point through these five games. Again, Shayna, take us into a place where we can actually get excited for what could be deciding games for this series from here on out. I can't. And I like this series to start. Game one brought... Game one was incredible. Yes. Mm -hmm. I'm so disappointed. And like the thing with it is it's not that one player broke the wild, but when you have a weakness and that's center depth, it's so exacerbated by any injuries. And Joel Erickson is such an important player. You really see that second line that became like this incredible offensive force while Kaprizov was out with that with Matt Boldy. It's gone without Erickson it feels like Boldy, you know, is underperforming. And I don't want to like just shit all over him. It's his second season, you know, but 
it's hurting them. That top line is struggling. It's hurting them. If they had a true first line center, maybe that wouldn't be the case. They only have so many lineup options. And then you look at the penalty kill there and it's been terrible. And that was a regular season strength. Everything's kind of gone away with it. They lost Erickson Eck, who is one of their best two-way yeah. penalty killers. He's one of the best forward penalty killers in the league on both ends of the ice. And then the last game was that much worse because Felino is one of the best defensive penalty killers. He doesn't bring as much offensively, but in terms of his impact on shots and expected goals against, one of the best in the league. He takes himself out of play, making a weakness even worse. So it just feels like anytime that there's like a little bit of a hole, they're just digging it deeper. So there isn't much to be excited about there. Gustafson, they screwed that up in game two. I think the series would have been totally different had he started because like the vibes, it just felt like we're leaving the wild. I don't know what they can do to get back in this series because Dallas does look legitimately good. Like Tyler Sagan, like you mentioned, has been crushing it. Rupa Hints is amazing. Miro Haskinen ha- has been everything and more. And then you did Ott- a good job. You did it. Thank you. And then Jake <laughs> Ottinger too. Like we know he can perform in the playoffs and he's bringing the heat once more. Like it's, it's not a very good series. Dallas, I think was the favorite in the first place for good reason, but yep. the gap is way wider than it needs to be. I think Erickson Eck is like the biggest blow and that really, he has one of the most underrated two-way games in the whole league. So when you don't have him and you don't have Boldy and Kaprizov performing, you're pretty much screwed. But Shayna, we have to give you props because you've been talking about the center depth issue with the Wild Mm -hmm. forever. Since before the series started, that's right. Shayna called it out. And and we have have to shout out to our dear friend of the pod, Prashant Thayer, who has been doing the work. Um, Shana and I and all and he have all been talking about penalties and power plays, but he pointed out uh, this morning, again, this is Wednesday as we talk, don't take penalties. To Shana's point about the penalty kill, <laughs> the power play conversion rate is at its highest in the postseason in years. So friends, discipline, disciplined play is going to be crucial. And all can, right. sorry, wait, with the wild too, with the disciplined play, we talk about Eric Snick on the penalty kill. He's a part of power play one. That was a huge strength for Minnesota. That that hurts them. He's one of the better players in Minnesota at drawing penalties because he's so frustrating to play against. So it's just like every which way one player can have an impact, it's killing them. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Let's move on to another game that was on Tuesday in a series that had been very, very close, forcing overtime more often than not. Uh, we had our first really big blowout and that was a six to three, although in my impression, it was really six to two in terms of what that game really was all about. Six to two win for Edmonton over the Kings, giving them the three two advantage in the series. Eunice Corposalo gets pulled. Skinner is back in net for Edmonton. And dear friend of the pod, Zach Hyman, apparently likes to score off of his face. Um, this was the most disjointed I had seen the Kings in a while. However, um, and we love Don Moore, who was doing color on this. I was a little frustrated because they were talking about how they had to basically get on the forecheck and be aggressive. I was like, no, the one three one is their identity. You can't change their system this late in the season. And the point of the one three one is to disrupt possession. And once there's a loose puck, the Kings jump on it and then they attack. So they just have to find a way to be effective in taking the puck away from Edmonton. You can't force a team to completely change the way they play right now. That's my two cents. Love you, Dom, because we know you listen. But all of, of that said, like all of that said, Sarah, were you as shocked as I was by how the Kings looked? Is this a blip or is Edmonton waking up and taking over? 
This series is just like that one tweet that is like, why watch playoff hockey or when you could do like two lines of cocaine and ride off in a motorcycle or whatever. That's this series in round one for me because I was watching this game yesterday and just like even through the first half of the first period, I was like, what the hell is going on? They are the, this is the, the fastest thing I've ever seen. They're just going up and down and up and down. And it's kind of like there could have been more goals, even in the first period. It was just insane. Oh, I, I totally agree with you that the Kings can't change. It's like one game. That's the thing about the playoffs too. Like you don't want to completely abandon your identity after one game, especially when these games have been so even matched, except for this one. Shayna, what do you like or dislike or predict about these ser this series after such a insanely different than the rest of the series to date game. I don't like that. It was such a different game. Um, I, I don't like, I actually bet on the Kings um, in the third period. Cause I asked Zuki. I was like, Hey, Zuki, give me a paw. <laughs> <laughs> if you think I should bet on the Kings and she gave me a paw. And then I said, give me a paw. If you think I shouldn't bet. And she growled at me. So I was like, <laughs> the girl knew what she was talking about. <laughs> and she fucked me. So my $2 rest in peace. Um, but no, like it wasn't as good of a game. And it's crazy too, because like, we talk about like game of inches and all those cliches, but there was a puck that was so close to just sliding past. I think it was Corpusalo. No, I'm sorry. It was Skinner. It was like, it, he looked a little bit out of sorts, like to open the game too. And I can understand the confidence after being pulled. I think it was the right move going back to him. And we see teams, even those with shared nets, right? In the whole regular season, if they pull a goalie in a game, generally they go back to whoever their starter is the next game, whoever they deem to be the starter. So it followed the pattern and it made sense. But that would have been a huge blow to his confidence. I just, I don't think the Kings should abandon everything, but I almost feel like there were points I would have wanted to see the coaches settle the team a little bit, mm -hmm. like call a timeout. And maybe it doesn't matter, yes. but I think that there is something to doing that. I know pulling a goaltender is one move you can make, right? Because it buys you a couple seconds so they can warm up and it's, you try to wake up the team. But I also think just calling a timeout, settling the troops, even if you want to draw up a play or just like have someone like Kopitar step up, like, that's that's the moment that I feel like they were missing last night. And it's not surprising the uh Jesus Christ, Islanders. The Oilers <laughs> are gonna start running away with this. Like they are the favorite for a reason. They're one of the best teams in the league for a reason. But we know that they're also a flawed team that can fall apart. So you just kind of have to keep your own shit together. I was just upset that Byfeld scored and he didn't even get to be excited about it. Like that was the saddest celebration I've ever seen. But congrats on the goal. Wait, are you gaming on a Chromebook? Yep, it's got a high-res 120 hertz display, plus this killer RGB keyboard. And I can access thousands of games anytime, anywhere. Stop playing. What? Get out of here. Huh? Yeah, I want you to stop playing and get out of here so I can game on that Chromebook. Got it. Discover the ultimate cloud gaming machine, a new kind of Chromebook. This episode is brought to you by Chevrolet. Now's your chance to support a team with real grit. The Chevy ZR2 family of off-road trucks. The first ever Silverado HD ZR2 joins the all-new Colorado ZR2 and the Silverado ZR2 for a commanding lineup of off-road ready trucks. Equipped to take on anything this season throws their way. Visit Chevy.com to learn more. All right, uh, there are two more series in the West. Um, first, let's talk about Winnipeg, Vegas. Vegas goes into Winnipeg and sweeps both games on the road. One was exciting, one maybe not so much. Winnipeg is so broken. 
Vegas holds a 3-1 series lead. When the next time these two teams meet, Sarah is at Winnipeg's final bow for what looks like the final hurrah for this roster of the season. Yeah, I was talking to someone close to the team yesterday who had read my article, and I, I did a typo where I forgot to say the contracts that I was talking about were up next season, not this season, but I didn't say the season. I just said season. So whatever. But he was like, <laughs> well, you're not, you're not wrong about what you said. And what I said was basically like they're toast and they need a re like it's over for this core. They need a new core. It's done. I don't want to see them in a round two. It's just like you got, um, oh my God, name the guy. Morrissey, Helen Buck. Shifley. Dubois. Shifley. You got Shifley out again in a postseason, whether it's a suspension or an injury or whatever it is. He's just always out in the postseason. It's like, okay, the vibes need to stop here. <laughs> Shayna, is this Winnipeg's final time on ice for the 2002-2022-2023 season? A little time warp there. Um, Listen. Back to the flat circle. I know. Um, I think so. I'm I'm not impressed by Winnipeg. I wasn't impressed by them going into the playoffs either. I think I've made that abundantly clear. I don't think that they were good enough. I think everyone else was that bad. I feel for Connor Hellenbuck. I think the bigger blow besides Shifley, which is a big one, is Morrissey because, you know, like even though he had a tough second half of the season, like that defense needs a true number one. They need a true number one behind him to really round out their group. You have the elite number one and then, you know, someone else that's top pair caliber and they don't have it. So now you're completely shorthanded. It's just not great for them. Um, and I don't even think Vegas is the most dangerous we've seen Vegas ever or the most dangerous team totally. in the West. But the way that the Jets are losing these games, like it's it's less than ideal. It, it really, it's not great. And I don't think that they have the accountability on the players to turn this around. That's the biggest problem with this team and has been forever. I mean, at least they're not throwing Nino out there to solve their problems. And I don't think that they have the creativity with their coaching. I, I think that's always been the case with Rick Bonus in Dallas as an assistant with Tampa before that. So what can you do? Fairly well, Winnipeg. If we're still talking about you next episode, we'll buy you a cookie. Congratulations. No, I've been really, I was really mean to them in my article. One well, cookie listen. that we're going to divide out 20 ways. The yeah. Coaches don't get it. 23. Yes. Yes. <laughs> All right. There's one more series in the West and this is, Kraken Avalanche, and I jinxed this one, didn't I? Because I talked about how it was so great because it was the only series without controversy. And in game four in Seattle, while it was historic and magical and wonderful, and it has the series tied 2-2 as the Kraken come back and win in overtime, first home playoff win, first home playoff overtime game and win. Guys, I feel like I'm the Tyra Banks meme. We were all counting on you. Like... <laughs> Friend of the pod, Kale McCarr, is now enemy of the pod, Kale McCarr. The man who declined a penalty being called on his opponent earlier this season. The man who probably always knows where a puck is because he won the fucking Norris and Con Smythe trophies last year. An egregious, in my opinion, hit on friend of the pod, 40-goal scorer, Jared McCann, well after the play uh, in the attack zone, after Jared McCann has a shorthanded breakaway chance. Jared McCann is not with the Kraken for game five in Colorado. The team is not releasing an update on his status, but it sounds like it might be more than one game for sure. It's hard because it's great to be excited for the Kraken, and this series has had some really exciting hockey. But unfortunately, we have to focus on Wilted Kale, Makar, Shayna, what say you? Yeah, I'm disappointed. Kel McCarr is one of my favorite players in the league, and I 
it was so out of character. Like, I understand things happen. It's a fast game, sure. But I didn't like anything about the hit. The puck was it was not in the picture at this point. You know, it was it was late. It was vicious. It was unnecessary. Um, and it makes sense he's suspended. But I like, OK, I legitimately take issue with the entire way that this went down, because immediately it seemed like they weren't calling a penalty. Then they called a match penalty. I love the idea that you can review match and I'm sorry, major penalties. They called um, match and major penalties you can review. I love that. I think that is the best thing that they've added in a while, because if a match penalty or a major penalty is called, it's a higher severity of penalty. So it should, the time should be taken. Yes, there's flaws to it. It sucks when things are missed or called as minor and they can't be upgraded. But the fact that you can take the time and make sure you get it right. How you don't get that right is the problem with everything. It overshadows the little bit of progress that that made because the rules are unclear apparently. And secondly, they're not applied consistently. So even still, I don't know how you reduce it to a minor for interference. Had McCarr been thrown out of that game in the first period, I would say give him one game suspension because in playoff terms, that's two games. The fact that he wasn't tossed from that game and only got one is the disappointing part to me. And again, this is the player I love. I want to watch him. I want to see him in the playoffs because the game is better when he's on the ice. He should have gotten two games, right? Like Because he didn't there. And it's so unfortunate that it led to an injury and the series obviously got chippier. But like it was just unnecessary. And I if the roles were reversed and it was McCarr who got hurt, I don't think this would have been the conversation. I understand giving a player like McCarr the benefit of the doubt in a suspension hearing because he has a clean history. But in the game, in the moment, if you do it, take the penalty. That's it. And yes, thank you, Shana. Uh, and also, please read Shana's article on this on The Athletic. It's very well done, per usual. Um, First but time I, did I very- didn't use data for a story, by the way. And I was that was something completely out of my wheelhouse. And I was like, shit. I just committed you did this. great. Thank but you. I did bury the lead a little bit and forgot to introduce the fact that Kale McCarr did get a one-game suspension. And I referenced the comment, too, of not seeing the puck. And again, that apparently was part of Kale McCarr's defense, which is why, and these are opinions, are all my own, regardless of what I do for a job. But I'm sorry. You're Kale fucking McCarr. You're one of the best players in the league. There are literally pictures from the moment where the hit is happening and all the fans in the stands are looking the other way because they see the puck going the other way, like not directly at like the other way. Yeah. And I was pretty sure he was going to get suspended at least one, but I am with you. I think there was a little bit of a star cushion here and two might have been the more proper call. Sarah, did you like the resulting punishment and what did you think of the hit and the play? I don't think it was a star cushion, but I think it was, as I keep arguing for, we shouldn't have the lack of intent make a severity of a penalty worse or better, you know, because I don't think he had intent and he does not have a history. So I think that's where the one game instead of two games or at least the ejection or lack thereof come from. I think obviously he didn't mean to do it, but like that is how we get dangerous hits, right? And that's how they stay in the game. You need to just actively not try, like you have to avoid that actively instead of, oh, I didn't mean to, but I did, so. Yeah, yeah. It very just pulled up a little bit though, just yeah. that for yeah. me would have changed exactly. all of it. 
the initial shove I have zero issue with. Like that's fine, yeah. but it's yeah. it's it's the choice to go in second time intentionally aggressively. Um, but shout out to the Kraken fans who were committed to booing that man every time he touched the puck. It was actually quite incredible stuff. Um, we do wish Jared McCann well. Um, and it will be interesting to see how this series progresses because it's been great, really fast hockey. And now there is an element of hate. This is how it all starts. Let's switch over to the East. We already talked about Toronto, Tampa Bay, um, but games that were played yesterday, Carolina and the Islanders, we all three had left the Islanders for dead. And guess what, friends? They force game six along with some more face goals. So Sarah... Are the Islanders going to push this to seven and are, is Carolina on the ropes? Oh my God, please just like, I'm pissed at the Hurricanes for not closing this out because I don't want to watch, I do not want to watch seven games of this. Once again, you have Sebastian Ajo spitting chiclets, but I did love his response goal, his like puffy face. Um, and I know, oh my God, of course, you life, death, taxes, and getting into it on Twitter with fucking Islanders fans. I tweeted like, I know why this is the rule that you keep playing when somebody gets hit in the face and whatever, I'm a big girl, whatever. But it was just so fucking annoying that that's how they scored. And Brock Nelson even like felt bad about scoring that way, just through his legs. Um, but it just sucks that that didn't feel like a real hard earned goal. But I guess that's just like the point of the playoffs that you have to get capitalize on the bounces off faces or whatever ends up happening. So of course he was going to do it, but sometimes I just wish the play would stop when somebody is bleeding on the ice, but it is what it is. Zach Rensky would probably say that too. Uh, Zach Rensky would hard agree. (laughs) Yeah. Shayna, what make you about Carolina's inability to close this one out? Yeah. Like, so on the, the, Nelson goal, the one ounce of credit I do want to give him to bat that puck out of the air. I wish it went off Ajo's shoulder, right? But to bat it out of the air was impressive to score. But it's ironic, the guy with a fucking cage on his face mm-hmm. is the one that gets that goal. Um, it's tough for the Canes. Uh, they definitely had opportunities. And we saw it's this one, I feel like, was the least dramatic game in terms of like penalties called, which was a nice change. Um, it just felt like the Canes needed like a little extra oomph and it was a little too late because the Islanders actually capitalized on their chances. Like plays you expect when Barzell was coming down the ice, you would expect him to pass the puck nine times out of 10. He didn't, he scores the goal. And I think those are like the difference making plays. The Engvall, uh, Nelson Palmieri line has been excellent since the deadline, excellent in the playoffs, but it's just the way that the Canes started the game too. I really thought like they had it once the Islanders went on the power play and the Canes are coming up with more chances than them. I'm like, yeah, this is it. So I was very surprised, but it's a good test for them too, because last year was their biggest problem winning on the road. Yes. They managed one road win here. Now, if you can get another to end out the series, I think it's a good sign for them. I would be worried if it goes to seven in their case, even though they are without a doubt, the better team. Going to be interesting to watch, uh, I feel bad about Carolina, man. I just, I, they don't have the vibes. They the don't have the injuries. Vibes. It's so it's unlucky. So, I know. It's just, it's so yeah. crazy that like. Well, is it unlucky or should they have fucking done more at the trade deadline instead of going on a victory lap on social media? Well, yeah. Like, but they, only that. <laughs> they literally did what they needed to do in the off season. They got Max Pasch ready. Sure. Uh, yeah. Some of it they couldn't predict. But like. But- but then at the deadline, they went, went so on brand. You yes. didn't need to get another player who can't finish. You don't need another defenseman. Yeah. 
let's let's move to a series where we had teams doing a lot at the deadline and it's tied up 2-2 and that is Devils Rangers. This is a series that picks up tomorrow or Thursday as you're listening to this. So we'll see what this game brings tonight. But a lot of the Rangers stars getting some grief in this one for maybe not showing up as expected. Sarah, is this the series as it should be or are you disappointed in either team so far? No, this is exactly how it should be. And I was so worried it wasn't going to be at first when the Rangers took a 2-0 stranglehold. But I'm going to credit the Devils Wags for having the best <laughs> jackets of the postseason, and it's not even close. I think that has something read about to do that with the somewhere? magic. Um, next week on, oh my God, on bleacherreport.com slash whatever they have me on those these days. But um, I think Jack Hughes is the most important player in this series. Every single time he does something, it's like, okay, either the Devils are going to win or not. Uh, Shayna, how is New York performing after getting out quick and fast, like Sarah pointed out? It's are they like losing they this or are they not winning this? It, after I'd say after three and four, they're losing it. They they did their pre-scout. I am so impressed by it. The way that they figured out ways to slow down the rush game and just fully commit to team defense that we haven't seen all year, like with their forwards, how they protected the middle of the ice. Games three and four, the Devils adjusted. They started, their defense in game three was the building block for them to play the way they did in game four, which was the closest to their strength with their rush base game. And it does start with Jack Hughes. He was the player I was most worried about in this postseason. I thought... Players like Palat and Heeshear have and Meyer have the versatility to play both ways. That, like how you need to in the playoffs, in theory, versus how the Devils generally succeed. And the Hughes line is the one that doesn't. And Jack Hughes is like, nope. I once he got that penalty shot, it was like, okay, watch it start trickling into his game that confidence. And it looks like it has because he was taking over the game in game four. So credit to him. But the Rangers didn't adapt back. They didn't adjust their game. And that's their biggest flaw is the coach's inability to adapt on the fly. So game five is a huge test. I think whoever wins this game is winning the series. I don't see it being the Devils like winning game five and then the Rangers having two in a row. It feels like the Devils all season did this to them where they had that comeback ability. This is no different. But if the Rangers can put their stamp on game five, I think the series is theirs to lose. Well, there's one more series to recap, and it's the game that's happening Wednesday. So we're not going to prognosticate too much because it will have happened by the time you listen to this. And that is Boston's ability to end their round one matchup over the Florida Panthers. The biggest news here is that Bergeron may be back. We believe so, but I don't think it's confirmed as we go to recording. Ekblad and Duclair back for Florida. Sarah, are we going to stop talking about this series after this episode, other than a recap? Well, you know what? Um, Ekblad and Duclair back really can, like for that one last push, can really change something. And these guys are on their heels. It's going to be not an easy one for the Bruins to win. Bergeron, game time decision. So we'll see. It's going to be a really good game, I think. It's going to be close. And I just, I liked the answer from Jim Montgomery on any thoughts about putting Swayman in? No. Allmark, close it out. You respect the opponent. Not that anything's wrong with Swayman, but Allmark is the guy. Shayna, is this the final game these two teams play this postseason against each other? Yeah, I'm not going to be surprised if it is. The Panthers have defied what we thought the whole end of the regular season, but it does feel like for as good as the answers are that Paul Maurice gives mid-game in the interview, because I think he is the best coach at that, I don't think he has the answers otherwise. It feels like things fall into his lap, like having to start Lyon, and then you roll with the hot hand. Easy decision. The power play has been a bad decision the entire time. Like, 
they're weighing down the stats on the power play. Like, come on, going three forwards, two D until they had to go with four forwards because of the injury. So I just want to see like if they hurt themselves or help themselves with players getting healthy, if they make the right decisions now, or if they go back to status quo, which isn't helping out enough. Well, we will talk more about that series based on this game outcome when we talk again. So much hockey, so much fun, so much up in the air. Watch what we're right and wrong about. And for now, we will end this episode as we do everyone. And that is with our favorite game. And that is Fuck, Mary Kill. In honor of bruised and broken faces and bloody teeth, Sarah, our Fuck, Mary Kill is focused on three types of goals and you're up first. You ready? Yes. Fuck, Mary Kill. Face goals, own goals, or breakaway goals? Killing own goals just shouldn't count. I am fucking face goals because that can be fun, but only every once in a while. I don't want that happening all the time. I'm marrying breakup goals because I break up, breakout, whatever goals, because they are harder than they look because like a clear-sighted shot. Um, see, I know my analytics too, but it's just fucking awesome when they happen to It's just so satisfying. So that's my take. Dana? I'm going to kill an own goal. I think that they are deflating, terrible, horrible. Hate that for the player. Mentally draining. Don't need that. I will fuck a face goal because like in theory, it's cool. But like in actuality, it's not. So it's something like if you want to fuck around and find out like one time, go off. But I wouldn't want to commit to that because your face is going to look totally fucked. Um, Which is why we're fucking it. Get it? See? The consistency. Amazing. And NHL officials learn from me. And I will marry a breakaway goal. Is it the most exciting in the world? No. But it's also like you could see how many players can like fuck up on a breakaway. There's something, there's a fun element like shooter versus player that is nice that you can see in like the defensive play that allowed the breakaway to happen. There's more there. It's fine. Sure. Whatever. I am going to kill face goals because I just don't like them and I don't like the injury aspect of it. And I think we shouldn't, I'm with Sarah, we shouldn't be wanting to see more of those. I'm actually going to fuck own goals. And here's why. Let's score them as own goals. And now we have a lot more of an interesting story. We don't (laughs) score them as own goals. So I would like to see them happen, but be scored in terms of what actually happened. I do believe soccer does that. So let's take a note. Soccer Um, does everything better. Their FIFA game has heat maps and passing mats. Like, come on. We don't even have that in real-time NHL games. Well, it's because the media still doesn't know that they exist. So uh, I'm going to marry breakaway goals because it's not just the skill. It's not just the matchup one-on-one. It's how do they happen? Because in these series with everything being so tight and everything being about punch, counter, punch, if something breaks down like that, asking and finding out why is what is fascinating to me. All right, my friends, thank you as always for hanging out with us. We are enjoying this postseason journey, hopefully just as much as you are. We will be back again soon to break down every series that's still happening. And in the meantime, don't forget to interact with us on social at two underscore much underscore man on both Instagram and Twitter. Send us your boots on the ground virtual reporting. If you do it carrying or holding or wearing a bit of Too Many Men merch, you may get another piece of that as well. And speaking of that merch, if you don't have it already, thanks to Ashley and James, go buy our merch at TooManyMenMerch.com. We have all kinds of goodies for you. And until we talk again, we remind you and ask you kindly to please do something, no matter how big or small, to make sure hockey truly is for everyone. We will talk to you soon. 
Love you. Bye.